Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. With more financial empowerment, you create more choices to not rely on dysfunctional or um, abusive grandparents to watch your child or to, you know, quite frankly, get into good trauma therapy or quite frankly, to um, purchase hotels or Airbnb as a rental car so you don't have to stay and rely on those folks. I think that having money gives us more freedom. It gives us more choices. And particularly for the population group I serve, and frankly, from the very background that I come from, financial empowerment is every bit as important as psychological Mm. empowerment. Mm. Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question. How can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Today's conversation is with Annie Wright. Annie Wright is one of my business besties. Uh, She is a licensed psychotherapist who is all about supporting the well-being of those who, although they didn't have good childhoods, want to have wonderful adulthoods. I've known Annie for several years. She's a business friend turned real friend. And today we dig into the connection between psychological well-being and financial well-being. Annie is like so tangible and clear on the importance of financial well-being to support our psychological well-being. I love the points that she makes. And they particularly apply to those of us who grew up in dysfunctional families. Annie also explores how setting your rates can really model financial empowerment and self-care to your clients in this very tangible way, which is a point that I love. So often as therapists, we struggle with the idea that raising our rates is doing harm to our clients. And she has some wonderful insights into how doing that can actually be the exact opposite. And she also discussed how she overcame her own complex childhood um, and 
experiences of money really being there and really not being there to create a very sober relationship with money as an adult and really create the security that is so important to her as an adult for herself and for our family. Annie is a national expert in relational trauma and recovery. Uh, She owns a a boutique therapy center in Berkeley, California, where she does one-on-one therapy services um, and where she also oversees a staff of talented trauma-informed clinicians. And she's also a published mental health author and produces great digital content and online courses to support people who are recovering from relational trauma. Here's Annie Wright. So welcome, Annie. I'm so glad that you're here today. I am so excited to be here, Lindsay. Thank you. Yeah. So Annie, uh, your work that you do, you work in relational trauma, right? So you're like really, um, I would, something you and I have in common, I think is that we spent a lot of our careers doing like complex trauma work, like really getting in to the deep stuff, um, Mm -hmm. in people's minds and their relationships and their upbringings. Um, so I'm really curious for you, given that this podcast is about money, what do you see as the relationship between like financial well-being and financial empowerment and like psychological well-being and empowerment? I think they're inextricably interconnected. Mm-hmm. And yes, so I'm a licensed psychotherapist. My niche in the world is relational trauma recovery. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is I'm typically working with folks clinically or um, supervising my staff through my center. The folks that they see are coming from backgrounds in which they were raised by mood or personality disordered mm-hmm. parents or homes where a lot of addictions or chaos took place, leading to kind of a host of uh, complex developmental impacts for those individuals. Yeah. So given that that's my population group, I really truly believe that money well-being and psychological empowerment go hand in hand together, mm-hmm. um, particularly for that population group. And what I mean by that is... As we do the work to psychologically empower and esteem ourselves, maybe individuate from our dysfunctional families of origin, Mm -hmm. psychological empowerment can help only up to a certain extent. And then you have to have resources in order sometimes to make choices that can ultimately be the most healing for you. For instance, if you are without money, without resources, if you're not financially well, and you um, live at home with abusive or dysfunctional parents, and you don't have the money to get your own apartment or to leave even the city or state where you grew up, that's an issue, right? With more financial empowerment, you create more choices to not rely on dysfunctional or um, abusive grandparents to watch your child or to, you know, quite frankly, get into good trauma therapy or to um, purchase hotels or Airbnb as a rental car. So you don't have to stay and rely on those folks. I think that having money gives us more freedom. It gives us more choices. And particularly for the population group I serve, and frankly, from the very background that I come from, financial empowerment is every bit as important as psychological Mm. empowerment. Mm. I love that because it's so practical. Um, that's something that I think you and I have in common when it comes to money is yes. like we're very practical about it. We think about like, what can it do? So I'm hearing oh, like, definitely from a very practical perspective, money allows you to like create those boundaries mm-hmm. and space from relationships that can be harmful to you. Absolutely. It, well, I think not only allows you to have those boundaries and to create space and to create choices, 
And quite honestly, it lets you do some of the healing work that's Mm -hmm. required if you were raised in an environment like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think many folks come to me when they're finally starting to earn enough money or they are finally in a job that actually has health benefits Mm -hmm. that can cover even a portion of um, therapy fees. And so we see very concretely there that their ability to have earned money and to empower themselves up to a certain extent bought them a resource that can then further their psychological healing. Right. So I do think the two go hand in hand. Mm. And I think that's a really important message for, you know, the therapists and health practitioners who are listening, because mm. in our professions, we, we have quite a bit of control, even though people might not feel that way. We have mm. quite a bit of control over the money that we bring in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. something that I noticed with so many of us is Um, we're so focused on like our clients' needs or stories about what they can afford or what's right or feeling guilty about making money that sometimes therapists even limit what they could be earning um, because there's those other stories are kind of running them, right? Oh, sure, sure. I don't I have yet to meet a therapist who isn't immune to that at some level. Yes, absolutely. But what I'm hearing is for therapists, especially who come from the kinds of backgrounds that you're talking about, um, there's actually like a an extra level to what earning can do for them. Well, here's, here's what I think then in charging decent, good rates in managing your money. Well, Mm -hmm. you're modeling for your clients, Mm -hmm. what it is to take good care of yourself, which may be the very content that they need to take, you know, that they need to tend to as well. Yes. Right. So I do think the more that you tend to your own money well-being, the more you can model and help lift and elevate and inspire your clients. Because mm-hmm. they can feel that from you too. I absolutely think that's been the case, at yeah. least with me and my clients. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So Annie, then in your own life, I know so many of us do the work that we do because of uh, our own experiences. Mm. Um, I'm curious about what your experiences have been like with, with money growing up. Mm-hmm. Complex. <laughs> <laughs> when I say complex, everyone's relationship to money is complex. It's a very mm-hmm. complex topic, but I, I feel like I have um, a story that's a little bit conflated at different ends of the pendulum. So um, I do come from relational trauma history. Mm-hmm. And up until I was about uh, six years old, I think my family back in the eighties and uh, New England, where I grew up was considered what, what might be relatively upper middle class. Mm-hmm. However, at six Uh, everything kind of blew apart. Mm -hmm. And my biological father um, left the family uh, very uh, bombastically and with a lot of debt, you know, with um, hundreds of thousands of debt and basically left us in poverty. Um, That individual who I don't have a relationship with um, then went on to build a life for himself as uh, an art gallery owner in New York and Palm Mm -hmm. Beach. So my mother took uh, care of myself and my three younger sisters and there were times where we were absolutely in poverty. Mm-hmm. We had to, um, you know, drastically downsize our life. And there were times where we had to receive food from others um, because we didn't have enough ourselves. There was um, always putting stuff away at the, you know, the grocery store checkout. Mm-hmm. We barely, we all slept in the same room because we couldn't um, afford to heat a whole house. Uh, you know, things that, you know, were, were actually quite extreme in a main yeah. winter. Um, and so... And um, by contrast, that my biological father, a person I don't have a relationship with, uh, was sort of living high on the hog in terms Mm -hmm. of running these very high-end art galleries. 
And so, um, you know, flying in 50 pound lobsters to entertain his art clients or like making us sleep in these art galleries under, you know, half a million dollar paintings, um, and giving us hundred dollar bills so we could wander the streets of New York, but at the same time, not paying child support, not Mm -hmm. paying health insurance. So we were, um, in this very strange world of high end net worth. Um, during vacation times, mm-hmm. and yet also very much in sort of uh, what was tenuous poverty for a while with my mother. And um, she did a really valiant job, went back to work where, you know, she had very uh, few job prospects mm-hmm. and worked very, very hard to um, climb us out of that uh, poverty. We, I don't remember us ever having health insurance or any kind of financial safety net. We did have food after she started working, you know, quite consistently over the years. So we didn't want for anything on a very sort of immediate material level, um, mm-hmm. certainly as I moved into a teen, but we, again, didn't have health insurance. There were no retirement mm-hmm. investments. We never owned a house. There was no real net. Yeah. Um, it all just kind of filtered in and flowed out. Um, and, you know, by, uh, by contrast, that individual, again, my biological father and, uh, was, uh, went to prison for being an art thief. So there are some pretty extreme uh, money relationships in my own personal background. So I grew up with a really complicated relationship to money, not understanding how you earn it, how you earn it, uh, not necessarily relatively easily, but without working yourself to death or without stealing from people. And I certainly didn't have any models of how to manage it and create true security. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been a really complex and long journey I call it my money sobriety journey to um, basically uh, undo all of the uh, the sort of money trauma that happened in my past, along with the other trauma, of course. Yes, yes, yes. That too. (laughs) That too. So I'm wondering, Annie, like now, how would you describe your relationship with money today? I think I have a really sober relationship with money and a really Mm -hmm. strong relationship with money. Mm -hmm. I don't exist in magical thinking with it anymore. I also Mm -hmm. don't exist in fear and scarcity with it anymore. Um, I've done a lot of work to understand um, my own limiting beliefs, to challenge them, to work really hard to build up my professional reputation and the rates I command. Mm -hmm. And then I've done a really excellent job. I do pat myself on the back um, for managing money well mm-hmm. to create a long-term financial security and stability for mm-hmm. uh, my family, which includes myself, my husband, and my, my toddler daughter. Yes. So yes. I think I have a sober and strong relationship to money. That doesn't mean there aren't times that I'm not, I'm swamped with a little bit of fear or a little bit of overwhelm or even mm-hmm. a little bit of magical thinking. I mm-hmm. think you've been my friend sure. for some time. So you've seen me through those moments. Sure, yeah. um, but in general, I have a fairly sober and strong relationship to money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that I'm hearing has been a priority is, is that safety net. Like it sounds like oh, hundred percent, which makes <laughs> all the sense in the world yes. right? because you didn't yes. have that yes. and the lack of that would have been probably very present. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think, um, when I think about the tangible, but also emotional impacts that creating long-term sort of, uh, money, well-being, financial well-being has had. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest ones is the ability to sleep better at night, not worrying about mm-hmm. money and not worrying about unexpected expenses, et cetera. Yes. Um, yes. Having all the defensive insurances in place, knowing mm-hmm. that there's emergency funds across the board, I sleep better. That's been mm-hmm. a huge impact of a uh, better relationship with money. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And something that I so um, appreciate and admire about you, Annie, um, is your ability to kind of 
push money into the future mm. um, in strategic ways, right? Like I think you're very goal oriented yeah. and I think yeah. a lot of um, people and, and certainly therapists and health practitioners can struggle on like two sides of a spectrum. One is where they spend everything and they have oh. nothing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's no savings for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where the other side is where people kind of hold on to and like hoard money. There isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a plan for it. There's just like a tightness Absolutely. around it. Absolutely. Um, and what I hear you describing is like your money goes to very specific places and does very specific things for you. Oh, absolutely. And to be clear, it, it was not overnight that I got to that place. Yes. I've lived on either side of those spectrums where I've, um, you know, spent everything that came in very similar mm-hmm. to what I grew up with. Yeah. And then I've also wrestled with holding on to it and not making purchases um, because I thought there would never be enough. Mm-hmm. So I've arrived at kind of a happy medium in the pendulum swing of believing and trusting in myself and my ability um, to generate money in the marketplace. I've also raised my own market value in the marketplace. Right. Um, yes. So I have a lot of trust which, you know, allows me to spend, to have a nice quality of life now, Mm -hmm. but I do still very much prioritize future goals because that's very important to me. Mm -hmm. And some of my, my biggest values are freedom and security. Mm -hmm. And I do think that planning for your financial future, um, can help you feel more of that in the present. Absolutely. So for you, Annie, like what are some of the concrete things that you've done or tools that you've used to get you where you are now? Okay. So Right. So I told you a little bit about my background. Um, and that got me, I mean, that was my origin story with money. Um, and then I, you know, I managed to graduate from high school as valedictorian and went to Brown, went to the Ivy league, um, uh, but went there on scholarship because we were so poor, which was fine. So I didn't have a ton of student loans then. Uh, but then I spent my twenties at Esalen healing, not earning any money. So this is all important context because I think that my money sobriety journey really started at about age 30, 31, mm-hmm. when the student loans I had to take out for grad school kicked in. So that was the period. That was the last chapter of my life where I had very magical thinking about money. And I Mm -hmm. took out a lot of money to fund my graduate school education. It was basically what I lived on and it also paid the tuition costs. Well, I didn't really think through at the time what it would look like in reality to pay back, you know, $150,000 in student loan debt. So round about 30 or 31, I can't remember which year it was exactly. That's when the money sobriety journey really started when guess what? It was time to pay back the student loans. It was so painful. And that early stage of the financial sobriety journey really involved me doing the simplest things, which was, um, it sounds so funny to say now, because I love looking at my money, Mm -hmm. but it, it was like, I had to actually look at the numbers. I had to look at the numbers of what I owed on all of the accounts and actually gather the data. And the first tool I started using, which I'm still such a fanatic about today was YNAB Mm -hmm. to start tracking everything. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love YNAB. So, um, but at that point in the journey, you know, the number was in the negative, like multiple, uh, hundred thousands negative. And it was all red because that's what you see. Right. It was, it was terrifying. It was so scary and so hard to look at. And so that was the very first tool I used to basically, um, 
you know, I, I kind of say it was my, my come to Jesus moment. It was like, you had to see like white, what was right in front of you. It was my rock bottom in a way. And so I started to use YNAB, um, and then just getting used to even looking at my numbers. And then as I had a semi-regular paycheck rolling in, I started, you know, I, I enrolled in, um, Dave Ramsey's financial peace university, like this, this online programming or this online program. Now I can't say that I relate to his values entirely, Mm -hmm. but I do think that um, course had value in teaching me not only just how to track my money, but then how to sort of imagine paying down the debts and in what way and what I might do with spare income and what insurances I had to start to get in place. So I remember that was sort of like the second tool I used to grasp a little bit more control over my financial security. Um, But then there were a couple other tools I used. Once I started to make a little bit more traction, a little bit more progress, it was really hard for me to start saving for future me. Mm -hmm. I never really saw the value in putting any money into the 401k, even if there was a match, which sounds so silly now. Um, But in order to kind of uh, trick myself into saving for my future self, I know you know this because it's um, a tool that I share in the mini course that goes along with your course, Mm -hmm, but I aged a photo of myself so that I could see what I would look like at 70 or 80. That was a very sobering wake up call because I felt so much. um, I saw so much vulnerability in her Mm -hmm. and I wanted to protect her. So Mm -hmm. I started actually keeping that photo um, on my desk and that would help me um, make choices like, Oh, I'm not going to go out to the restaurant, but I'll save $30 this week Mm -hmm. to put into long-term investments. So that was another really important Mm -hmm. tool. And I will say, let's fast forward because it's not like this happened overnight. I'm 39 now, and this journey is about nine years old. And in the last nine years, um, my financial acumen and my net worth has grown, you know, quite a bit. Um, so along the way, I, I enlisted other tools at certain points, including uh, hiring a financial planner, really, really excellent accountant. Yes. And I started surrounding myself with more stories, consuming more stories and surrounding myself with other individuals who are on similar trajectories, mm-hmm. building wealth for their families or autobiographies of folks who had done it, especially rags to riches stories like mm-hmm. Madam CJ Walker or yes. Rachel, Rachel Rogers. Yes. Um, stories that modeled for me what I could do. So I've used a lot of different tools over the years, but I will tell you the thing I still do every two weeks, every two weeks on a Wednesday for about an hour and a half to two hours, I sit down with my app. Mm-hmm. I still use that tool yeah. like very religiously to run my home finances and both of my businesses. Yes. 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 And, uh, and me too, big wine. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing so many, so many pieces there. Any, like, I do have to say, the aged photo. I do remember that that's in your mini course, but I listening to you talk about it, like I can feel viscerally the effect of that. And I'm like, I should do that for myself just to see what that's like to see. I mean, I'm already aging as it is. Um, And so sometimes I do get glimpses where I'm like, oh, I'm not the age Mm. I used to be, Mm -hmm. but getting that sense of like connecting with our future vulnerability and and Mm -hmm. connecting with that care for self Mm -hmm. sounds like such a powerful, like embodied motivator to, Absolutely. yeah, to move that money forward. Cause that's something that my students talk about sometimes and, and that we, we coach them on in the courses. How do you, you find your authentic motivation mm-hmm. for saving mm-hmm. for the future? Absolutely. You have all these stories or anxieties yeah. that make you just want to make, spend the money now. 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a powerful one, but you know, also keeping my daughter's photo on the table is, is my other biggest motivator. And I mean that in, in all the ways showing up and doing well professionally, Mm -hmm. uh, making sound decisions, but even on those, um, during those months where I'm like, is it really worth spending this much on long-term disability insurance Mm -hmm. and remembering that if I, you know, something, God forbid happens to me, we will still have income flowing in by me paying that insurance every month. And that will support her and her education and her goals. So I think finding one or two or three sources of motivation um, is very important because there are a lot of expenses that can come for, you know, from really taking care of yourself well in the the future. And it's good to have a couple different sources of motivation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really is. Um, Yeah. In our um, household, we're, we're very insured and I've noticed I'm also like you, um, like fairly security focused Mm -hmm. and, um, that life insurance for me is just like, it's a gift to my mm-hmm. son that I hope he will never receive. Right. But it's just, and it's every week, every month we pay it. My husband's is fairly expensive. My partner's insurance. Cause he's a male of a certain age. Yes. Um, but it's, it's just there. And like, sometimes we'll even joke of like, you know, um, mm-hmm. if we're maybe a little annoyed with the other person, uh, we'll look at them like a bag of $1.2 million. <laughs> But it's, I think that joke is, is the connection to that reality, right? Like we're putting money in every month that hopefully will never be needed, but like, God forbid something did happen to one of us or both of us, our son is cared for. Like he will have money to carry him through for a decade and a half until he's ready to be on his own. Exactly. And that's the way I think about it too, because again, it is hard to watch that three or four or $500 that you spend Mm -hmm. on your protective insurances Mm -hmm. go out every month thinking, man, that could have been a trip to Europe after a couple months, right? It's, it's hard to do. I I totally relate. I would love a trip to Europe. Um, But what I want more than that is for my daughter to be well uh, provided for. Yeah. Like period, full stop. So, I mean, it's, it's always going to be a tension of how do we reward and find pleasure in our daily experience Mm -hmm. while also making sometimes hard, sober choices for our future. And that's what, to me, um, that's a part of what being financially well means. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And I see it as a balance, right? Cause I think we can fall either way. Like um, there are certainly, I know you and I are both aware of like the financial independence, retire early movement yes. where it's all about that future focus. It's yeah. all about yeah. not doing things now so yeah. that you, you have freedom sooner. Yes. Um, but what I notice about that is um, the way that we're living now, like we're setting a pattern, like this is our life now. Right. And so if we're deferring enjoyment or relaxation Mm -hmm. or pleasure or connection now, (laughs) it's going to be really hard to suddenly start doing that one day, just because we hit a a dollar amount, our goal. Well, and I think of it this way too, and this may be um, particularly resonant for those um, of your audience members who are Mm self-employed. One of the things uh, that I've been really thinking about in the last year and a half during the pandemic is don't kill the goose that lays the golden egg. (laughs) I am self-employed and my family's wealth comes from how how I work, right? Yes. My work. And granted, I uh, I do run a therapy center. So even if I don't show up and see clients someday, there's still some money that comes in through there. I'm aware mm-hmm. of that. But the bulk of our income comes from me seeing clients. In order for me to show up and see clients, I have to stay really well. So mm-hmm. I cannot deprive, you know, again, the goose that lays the golden egg. I cannot drive her into the ground and expect the golden goose eggs to keep coming. Mm-hmm. Annie, for people who are listening, who, especially people listening who relate to what you're talking about with having mm-hmm. from a relational trauma background, which might be new language for them, even mm-hmm. um, if they want to get more into your world, what, mm-hmm. what do you have for them? What do you offer? 
Well, my little corner of the internet is AnnieWright.com. And um, on there, you'll find everything, ways to work with me one-on-one individually, but also the six years of essay writing that I've done specifically around the topic of relational trauma recovery. And the website gets about 20 to 30,000 hits a month. So it's, you know, it's quite a niche little corner of the internet, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of content there. If you do resonate with anything I've shared about coming from that particular background, Um, moreover, there is an online course that I launched Mm -hmm. last year called Hard Families, Good Boundaries, which while it's um, titled to just sound like it's about holding boundaries with your family members, it's a Trojan horse of a course. It's about (laughs) relational trauma recovery and all the many Mm -hmm. aspects of it, but it's a wonderful resource too. And if folks are feeling particularly uh, challenged by their families of origin, um, as they're trying to psychologically esteem themselves and financially empower themselves. Yeah. And I think that you have actually a discount code for our listeners as well. I do. I do. And you're going to include that in the show notes, correct? Yes. So the link for that is in the show notes, along with that special discount code. Um, That's for our listeners. Yes. So, and Annie, if people want to follow you, what's, where's the best social media place for them to connect with you? Oh, well, I am really enjoying Instagram right Mm -hmm. now. So I would love to have people come join me. It's at Annie Wright LMFT, which is, um, the license title, of course. And, but that one's super fun. And I'm going to be on there, uh, sharing more videos, of my daily life. And, um, it's, yeah, it's just a fun place to come find me. And, but do, you know, come visit the website if you're interested at all in that particular topic, because there's a wealth of a library of articles there. There truly is. Yeah. And I have heard great things about your course from people. So uh, yeah, I just referred one of my clients the other day to your course. So it's it's a great resource um, on, on a topic that there's not often very much support or, or language around even. No, no. I'm basically writing the content that I wish I had um, been able to find 20, 25 years ago. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Annie. It was so wonderful having you on today. Um, And if people are looking, if you want to hear more from Annie, uh, you can check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. It's such a pleasure. Thanks. I so appreciate Annie's insights around how using money to take care of yourself can remove you from this dysfunction. Something else that I also appreciate so much about Annie that I think came through in this episode is how ambitious and determined she is to make that big impact and how she's shifted her relationship with money and has so much clarity around money to allow her to create big impact in the world um, and create a life that supports her and her family and gives her that security. Annie is a rock star. If you are interested in hearing more from her, if you resonate with what she's talked about in terms of coming from dysfunctional family or with mood disordered parents, check out the links um, in the show notes. She has so many great things on offer and her her weekly newsletter that she does, or bi-weekly, her bi-weekly newsletter that comes out on Sundays is always so thoughtful um, and such a lovely read. So check out Annie. And she also has that promotions code um, to get a discount off of her course, which I've heard such great things about. So check out those links in the show notes. If you want to hear more from Money Nuts and Bolts, you can follow me on Instagram at Money Nuts and Bolts. And if you are feeling energized and ready to really take those next steps to get money working for you in your private practice and your life, get on the wait list for Money Skills for Therapists. You will be the first to hear about it when the course opens next. It is a three-month course with so much coaching and community support that walks you through in these little digestible step-by-steps how to go from money confusion and shame in your private practice to clarity and confidence by working on your relationship to money and actually setting up a system, a usable system that works for you and your brain. I love teaching this course. 
I've had hundreds of people go through it with great success. And if you want to be one of those people, get on our wait list. You'll see the link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining me today.